Hello, boys and girls, and welcome back to the AJ Roberts Show. Today, we are very, very grateful to be joined by none other than former ex-paratrooper and CIA asset, Mr. Anthony Stephen Malone. Sir, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm okay, AJ. Thank you for having me on your show as well. It's a pleasure. Awesome, mate. Now, um, guys and girls, me and Anthony have been uh, friends quite some time now, and I wanted to get him on the show. Um, not just to talk about like all, all his military backgrounds and stuff like that, but I was really keen for him to share all the amazing work he's doing uh, in the form of charity work as well. Um, not all ex-military types are all gung-ho and uh, murder, death, kill, and uh, and spend the, you know most of their days like watching war movies and stuff like that. And that, that's all that they're, um, they're interested in. The, um, it's really keen to get him on because he's doing so much work in the background with loads of charity works and has done for quite some time. So uh, thank you for everything you're doing at the minute, mate. It's absolutely a pleasure. Obviously I'm watching it from a great deal and I'm very much part of what you're doing as well with Melkos Mission, but we'll go more onto that in a minute. Um, but just for the audience at home, what would you say, um, uh, it has really got you into the charity side of it. We'll come to the military side in a minute, um, but it is work you've done in the military and abroad and the places you've been opened your eyes and given you like a bit of a kick to get involved with the charity work in the first place? Yeah, I was, uh, I was very, very fortunate when I was serving in the parachute regiment to be able to go and visit places like Kenya. Mm-hmm. where it was a humbling experience because we got to see a lot of the locals and how they lived and they didn't live with an awful lot. Um, I've also spent a lot of time traveling um, across Africa as well. I uh, spent time in Somalia, Nigeria, Sierra Leone and South Africa. So I've seen how people really struggle out there. So coming back to, to, to England after all that time, I found a lot of people take a lot of things for granted in this country, even turning on a tap and being able to like pour a glass of water and drink it. A lot of places in the world haven't got that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And obviously having been to some of these uh, places myself, whether it would be in the, the Middle East uh, or in Africa, um, and, and even uh, actually some suburbs in Australia um, where Aboriginals live in that is uh, there's some really rough parts there, like especially in the bush. Like, you know, I've seen, seen it in all parts of the world um, and even in England, you know, unfortunately, um, we're, we're at that point at the minute. But um, just for, for the viewers and, and the listeners, um, your, your military sort of background and, uh, and journey started in 1988 in the Paris, didn't it? Um, would, you, would you care to share... Um, your military journey and where it went on from there? Yeah, um, I, I joined the Parisha Regiment for Power in 1988 in the British Parachute Wings, then went back to Depot Power again in, I think it was around uh, 1993, done P Company again, went to 3 Power, ended up doing a operation tour of of an island, um, spent about three and a half years in three power, then came came out of the British Army, then ended up being a combat photographer for 101st Airborne, obviously the Americans. Then from there, I met some interesting individuals. One of them was David Petraeus, General David Petraeus, who's actually now a friend. And he was in charge of 101st at the time, and then he went on to be obviously the commander of American Central Command and the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. So I became a asset for quite a long period of time for the Americans. Wow. So uh, obviously, uh, I know you can't. There's a lot of stuff you can't share and stuff like that, but we could say you've got uh, quite a few friends in places. <laughs> Yeah, I've got some interesting colleagues. Um, I'm lucky enough to call some some of these people my friends as as well. Um, one of them's he was a colonel back in 2003, Michael Pennington. He's now Brigadier General Michael 
Pennington, and he refers to me as his airborne brother, blood brother, because of everything that we did together in Iraq back in two, 2003. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we, we both know that the power of networking, the power of having a, having a strong network because um, of like things we're doing now with, with, with Melkos Mission. Um, yeah. So what, where, um, where did you serve during, during your time in, uh, in the Parachute Regiment? In the Parachute Regiment, we were based mainly in Aldershot. That was, that was back in the day. Um, served in Northern Ireland. Um, then obviously we, I was fortunate enough to do some sunshine tours, including Cyprus. So I didn't actually do a lot in the parachute hegemon. I didn't have a long career like some of the guys that I actually know. Um, I actually only done one full operational tour, which was in Harbin Island. And, and what was that tour like for you? Uh, was it a bit of an eye opener? It was, um, yeah, it was, it was an education. Um, I joined the, the parachute regiment because I just wanted to gain some ex- ex- experience. Um, and it's a family tradition as well. I'm a fifth generation soldier. Wow. So all my family have been, I uh, served king and country and queen and country. Wow. That's amazing. That, 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 I love that. That's really cool. Um, it's uh, yeah, we've got a few generations in my family. Obviously, uh, we've spoke before about like uh, my, you know, the amazing stuff that my uh, my granddad did, bless him, in uh, in World War Two and D Day and 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 days after that, um, and his brothers served or were killed. Um, my nan's father was a royal engineer, um, so yeah, so it, it it's quite interesting. I, I do uh, have a lot of time and respect for people that have such you know large generations of uh, military families. I guess it's quite um, easy to come by there, isn't it? Because of just, uh, it just, well, actually it just really opens your eyes into how many centuries like Britain's been in some kind of conflict, doesn't it? When you yeah. like, when you actually yeah. think about it, uh, the reality is you're going to find a lot of people whose generations just go up one after the other, after the other, or some kind of conflict. It just kind of makes you realize just like how, uh, how much we, we, we like the scrap, I, can, I guess you can call it. Yeah, the uh, the the M- empire has been in peril or involved in wars since day d- dot as well, haven't they? Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, what what kind of uh, led you to go from uh, the parachute regiment into 101st Airborne over in the states? I was I was doing um, some consultancy work. I'd been. I had helped American intelligence in the past as well. Um, spent a lot of time in Ebenham as, 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 as well. Uh, I was helping on a couple of tasks there. It wasn't a career move. It wasn't meant to be. Um, I was asked to give a friend a, a bit of a helping hand. Unbeknown to me, he happened to be a central intelligence agency that I didn't know at the time. Um, he had a tough nut to, to actually crack. So helped him with that one. That particular nut included going inside his bullet for a six month period in Lebanon with the objective of stopping the, we knew they were planning attacks on off duty British soldiers and American service personnel in Cyprus. We knew that was happening, but we just didn't know when. So I was able to go in, get a little bit of information, and that information was used. It was neutralized, and that particular threat was eliminated. So wow. those attacks never happened. It was actually the gentleman who was in charge of the British in- intel in Cyprus at the time. He was my personal friend. So it was him who I was passing, and the Americans, obviously. So then I thought, that's it. I'm totally out of all that. Don't want to do all that again. Then the 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 Iraq War and Afghanistan. So one thing led to another, and I ended up getting more involved in it. And um, with uh, with with that kind of line of work, what I love about it is that it really, it go, it's always under the radar, isn't it? Like it's stuff that doesn't get heard yeah, about. Cool. And there's to this day, there's so much stuff that happens in our own country, like even now, like. Uh, while all the focus is on COVID, there's, you know, there's 
jet this sleeper cells isn't there like that are actively you know planning to to hurt yeah. and harm people at any given opportunity um so it, it really goes quite uh quite missed doesn't it like by the public in general but i guess uh, i guess i guess the agencies like it that way though don't they because they just like to be able to just get under the radar do what they need to do get the job done um and not have all the fuss i think it's good 99 percent of everything should be kept kept quiet and the boys and girls who work in the shadows are the real heroes. Mm. Um, there's so many things that these guys manage to stop as well. Um, 99% of things that are stopped, the public do, do not ever get to crave about. Yeah. Um, but which is which is good. The governments and the agencies are there to keep the citizens of their countries safe. Uh, I was very honoured to be able to come a very small part of that. Yeah, no, I bet. And I think just, uh, I, I bet there was many days where you kind of like just took a step back and kind of realised what you were involved in and like the actual real bigger picture and the difference you're making um, from the job you're doing uh, and the grand scale of things like people won't really know about. Um, it must have felt a really good feeling of just how much of a, a big a positive impact your work was. Yeah, well, it, to be honest with you, we, we didn't get to really step back and think of it. For me, um, one of the key factors why I got so heavily involved with things and I was willing to risk my life was some of my friends who were serving with 101st Airborne were killed by Al-Qaeda. And I took that very badly and I took it very personally. Um, so... I got in, involved. So to me, it wasn't just a job. It was something I wanted to do, and I worked on it 24-7 for many months, many years, and it went on for a long period of time. Um, one of the other very key turning points in my life was when the suicide bomber hit the Central Intelligence team at Camp Ch Chapman, in yeah. Afghanistan, I lost a close friend that day. Was it seven, uh, seven, seven people died, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a single largest loss of life in agency mm. history. Um, and yeah, I took that. I took that very hard at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so my mission, if I was out concerned in life, was to, to take out as many of these bad guys as we could. Um, obviously, with the help of the of the American intelligence agencies and the other agencies inside America, and to stop attacks as well, because it was not a very easy decision to go into a network like the Akani network and Al Qaeda inside an Afghan prison for a three-year period of time. Um, I was in daily contact with senior commanders of Al Qaeda and Akani. One of them was Salah Houdidin. Um, I was his right-hand man for a period of time. Salah Houdin is the head of the Akani network and the deputy commander of the Taliban. He runs all Taliban operations now. So, and his father, which is a very important point, Salah Houdin's father was the senior mentor of Osama bin Laden as well. Mm. So that explains how I was able to get access to a lot of information and pass it on. But like I said, I, I took my work very personally. Um, in Afghanistan, it went very personal. And to even add insult of injury, um, Al-Qaeda and Taliban were killing members of the British military in Helmand. Mm -hmm. And three power were in Helmand. My friends were in Helmand. So they were, not, they were on the receiving end of terrorist attacks, IED attacks, and suicide bomb attacks being planned from inside Polishaki Jail, which was where, where I was located. Salahuddin, Talibjan, Motawakil, they were the main commanders and orchestrators of all the attacks against British soldiers. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I was on the receiving end of, you know, a lot of those... Um, problems and stuff like that and, and the threats obviously in, in Iraq and Afghanistan 
uh, as were all my friends and my even my family. My bro- two of my brothers who served in Afghanistan. Uh, they, they were caught up in incidents, you know, on, on occasions as well. So, um, yeah, it, it, the threat was phenomenally real and um, and on a daily occurrence, like in multiple locations. So, it's um, having just that kind of uh, people like yourself, those assets and those intelligence, like embedded deep with things. Is, is so vitally important and people don't think about that they just think about like boots on the ground don't they and like in large quantities large numbers and almost um a lot of time in american cases just overwhelming firepower um to try and just like just smash the shit out of the other side and um, hope it goes away but you just need that real raw intelligence picture don't you because yeah. uh things shift very quickly and um, what might be perceived as a potential threat and a problem might not be might only be like the a small part of the big picture. Um, so having that intelligence and those intelligence agencies uh, are absolutely vital for, um, you know, intelligence on the, on the ground for all, all the troops and building up that battle picture, isn't yeah. it? Well, the, anyone who's spent any time in there understands boot on the ground is one thing, but to have human int assets, human intelligence assets on the ground, feeding information back, um, I was one of a few of us who were out in the networks at that mm. time. And we, it isn't just uncovering information, it's getting it back in time, making sure the information is accurate. Um, very, very important. I ended up being a grade A intelligence source for not just the CIA, for American intelligence across the board and for the British special forces so to be able to be or get to the point of being a grade a intelligence source is quite rare normally a human source has got to be um, information has got to be verified from three different um, sources my information was at high value times time sensitive it was it was acted upon straight Mm. away that was good because at least then I knew that my information, I was risking my life to get information, passing it on by a time, date, location of an IED attack. What, um, back in time. what, what do you think uh, helps you get to that position? Like, was it a sh- like just the level of your mindset or intuition or was it the fact you're just very innovative on the ground and um, took a lot and was very risk and reverse? Like, like, what do you think kind of got you to that position to be a, a grade A intelligence source? I think because I wasn't officially trained by the CIA, I never done the whole, like, the whole mm. package of being trained at the farm. The bad guys couldn't couldn't smell. I, I was very thinking out the box, not going for the obvious. Um. There has been assets being put into networks in the past. A lot of them have been k- k- killed as well. Do you so think that's because on- they're very much like tunnel visioned on their training? Yeah. And whereas you're kind of like, like you're saying, you haven't had that training, but you're almost kind of like, you have to work off your own gut feeling, your own intuition, and almost like winging it on cases, which would just come across as like normal. Not, it doesn't stand out. Yeah, that would definitely work. The, 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 one of the nicest compliments I got was from my American handler. And he said, we can't train you to do what you're doing now. You just need to just be you. Mm. Be yourself. That's all we actually ask. And I did. I've done everything, which was my gut instinct on it. I was just very fortunate and lucky to have the full support of a lot of people outside. If I needed anything... It was d- done. If I needed sat phones b- brought inside, it was everything was spread away. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I think it's to, to have the mindset. I think one, me coming from a military family definitely helped me. Um, and the short period of time I served in the parachute regiment gave me the very basic raw skills and the mindset which was to run towards the danger, not run away. Um, as far as I was concerned, I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could actually help. 
don't get me wrong, I don't. Uh, the, the the chances of me being killed out there were quite, quite were quite high. My life expectancy was not long. Uh, it was a three month task in. It went on for three years. Wow. Um, with the pinnacle being, we located uh, Osama bin Laden in his compound over six months before um, the SEAL Team 6 took him out. I still have the original report as well, uh, as I do in all of my taskings. So, well, that wasn't very hard to actually do. That wasn't my focus. I was asked by Walter Downs, would I be willing to get the location of uh, UBL? Not if I could, would I be willing to? Which meant I had to photograph and copy all of Salahuddin's and senior Al-Qaeda commanders' notebooks, sit in meetings, piece it all together, hand it over. Then we pinged the villa in Abbottabad. So job done, take that one off, put it to one side. Let's focus back on stopping the IED attacks in Helmand against mm. British soldiers. Mm. Wow. And um, yeah, so, so you, you uncovered the actual location of Bin Laden that six months before the SEAL team actually went and raided the compound. Hell um, yeah. Yeah, that's so, so I take, did, it, did that give them... Um, six months then to re really train for the actual op itself or I no, guess it got very political it got it wasn't a secret where Ben Laden was it was who had the political balls the minerals to go in there and take him out I think there was a lot of politics inside Al-Qaeda at the time mm. um, like I selling think them they out wanted yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. Um, they wanted Ben Laden's to take over the actual network a lot sooner, I think. Um, and everything now is coming into fruition. The FBI a couple of weeks ago released that new Al-Qaeda headquarters is in Iran. They are now strongly linked to the Akani network, which is run by Salahuddin, and the Hezbollah network, the proxy of Iran in Lebanon, is now helping Al-Qaeda as well. Mm. So you've got organised crime now partnering up with organised international terrorism, yeah. Man, yeah. It's almost like a, just it's all, almost like trying to gather gather an alliance, really, isn't it, to make uh, make the pack stronger. Um, which, well, from from our point of view, in the Western world, and uh, you know, well, I guess. First world digital countries and that it's like a it's a huge huge threat to worry about really isn't it? It is now. I think the threat against the West is the highest mm. it's ever been. When terrorist organisations start to com communicate, they start to share safe houses, equipment, manpower, and key share intelligence and in share intelligence assets. Then we have a problem, especially with the Hezbollah. Because after the project, Cassandra was uh, was terminated, then Hezbollah was given a free reign over the past 10 years plus to expand. So their international criminal empire is worldwide, from Colombian drug cartels into England, the drugs in England, Europe. Um, it's a problem now. So they're using a criminal empire to actually help... to terrorist organizations mm. wow and, and and the 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 clear and obvious thing is is that the the world or the west or at the minute is so worked up and heavily focused on everything everything covid it's like uh, you know it's just this stuff just goes completely missed and not even thought about it doesn't even come into people's head spaces like um you know what is and has been happening you know in, in other places and what's building up because Mainstream media isn't talking about it at all. They're, they're only focused on one thing. Just because it's not on the media, the girls and boys who work in the intelligence services, the armed services, both in, in all the countries, um, coalition countries, British and Canada, Australia, they're all working very hard now to still keep our countries safe, mm. even with all the COVID. 
the men and women who work in the shadows, as like I said earlier in this interview, are the true heroes. Mm. I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so with your time in, uh, embedded in the 101st Airborne, that actually um, led you to get involved in charitable work, didn't it, in, in Iraq? Um, yeah. Like just how, how did that kind of unfold? Um, it come to a children's orphanage in Iraq, a Catholic children's orphanage. Um, I spent a lot of time there, spent a lot of time with the children. I kept them safe, kept the locations safe as well. Then I thought this is getting a bit beyond my or my team's capabilities. So I contacted 101st Airborne and requested that a pl platoon strength um, was put in the orphanage to protect it. Was that uh, from a protection point of view? Is that because it was Catholic and not? Um, yeah. Was that a religious reasons? It wasn't. It wasn't Muslim, Sunni Muslim, Shia Muslim. It was because it was Catholic. It was Catholic, yeah. Um, and but in the early parts of the of the actual war, the Saddam Hussein had given the actual order for the orphanage to be flattened and everyone killed in it oh. um, because rumour had it some of the children who were there were not orphans they were there hiding uh, we were able to stop all of that completely and keep the kids safe as well then obviously got 101st Airborne officially involved with all their um, assets everything um, so it's quite an unusual one to be able to call on something like 101st Airborne so I, I need a platoon of guys up here to protect it now I've got to shoot off so yeah they've done it straight away they also rebuilt the, the actual orphanage yeah. and we managed to make, make sure it was secure after that as well that's amazing work mate and it's um um, have you have you guys ever had any communications with any of the orphans since then? Like, um, you have, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I'm going out to Kurdistan again to speak to uh, to do a to do a talk for the KRG and the United Nations. So in a couple of months, I'll be calling into the orphanage again as well. Wow, I love that man. That's awesome. And obviously, like, to see, see the work we're doing with Melkosh and that to see. Like, you know, I see where your heart's at, mate. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, like, what, what what is it about the charitable stuff that you really enjoy? Because um, for me, like, you know, I've been, been in the military 15 years and you've seen, you know, impoverished uh, countries and um, people are just in the worst conditions and, and stuff like that. And it isn't nice to see, like, and, and you if you add war to the mix, trauma... Uh, and stuff like that it is enough to like really mess with your head but um for me i just like the the feeling of being able to change a life even if it's for a day or to give like hope for you know just a day to give people almost give people that empowerment to want to improve their life in a, in, a, in a better manner and show them that there is a better life there for them um should they you know, seek it, it, you know, it can, can get better. Uh, I, for me, that's what I love about doing the work with like Melkosh and speaking to the amputees and, and, and the rape victims um, almost on a daily basis through WhatsApp, you know, I get messages off them constantly. Uh, and what I love about it is that, you know, we're going through our period at the moment where we're in like lockdown, so to speak. Um, kids are learning from home online and stuff like that, and they are finding it difficult but I find it so humbling when I receive a message from um, a little amputee village in Sierra Leone in West Africa from people who are missing limbs asking us if we are okay and if we're coping all right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, what, what is it for you that, re you know, really stands out of why you love doing all the charity stuff? The charity, uh, the work, I, I wasn't always in involved in it I was just I just used to do my little bit to help when I was on the ground like Iraq Afghanistan Syria those sort of places um, but it was humbling for me personally I'd seen in Iraq particularly I'd seen that much war there's no other way to de describe it C carnage for want of a, of a better word um, 
being able to help some of the people on the ground, specifically the children um, on many occasions, it helped me personally to balance everything out. Um, being in a war zone for such a long period of time um, and seeing everything on a daily basis, seeing the killing, the carnage, it's um, very difficult to process and keep a grounded attitude and keep a clear head. Um, I actually found doing a lot of the work, doing a lot of the humanitarian work, it actually helped me to keep a clear mind to focus on the good, not just the bad. Because in war zones, you'll always find it brings out the worst in humanity, but it brings out the best in humanity. Mm. And some of the greatest acts of kindness I have ever seen have been from people who were in the middle of a war. Um, and you can't put that into words. But I've used all those experiences that have moulded me into the individual I am now and the mindset that I'm now as well. A lot of the soldiers, a lot of the young soldiers from all countries, not just, not just Britain, get to see an awful lot in a war zone. They're there for one thing, the soldiers are there to do a job, which is great. Totally agree with that, totally support it. But when the soldiers come out of the military, especially the younger ones who haven't seen a lot of life, their life skills are not, bril are not brilliant. Their main memories is being in a zone, whether Iraq or Afghanistan. So they need to make new memories, happy ones. It's very important. And that led me on to helping a lot of the veterans who were suffering from PTSD, who were homeless in England. To me, this wasn't just a little thing to help or a job or a task. This, to me, again, was a very personal thing because I've been there, I've seen it. Um, I still, sometimes I find it very difficult mentally to compute or to digest everything I've been through, everything I've seen. Because if I'm honest, I did not expect to be here, now, ever. I expected to die, either in Polishaki or die at the hands of Al-Qaeda. This, I'm not being silly by saying, I just didn't expect to survive everything. Every day I was undercover in Al-Qaeda was an extra day, and that was one soldier being able to go home safe to his family. So my mindset, I wasn't thinking afterwards, I just needed to get right. Now we need to, we need to do that task, stop that attack, end that one, find that safe house, and that was it. So I wasn't thinking of where I was going to like end, end up, for want of a better word. But now I'm out, I'm retired, put all that behind me. I'm using my, my experiences to be able to talk to other soldiers who have got people PTSD as well. Hence, mm. why now we actually run a little, a little, uh, a little group called Patriot. Mm, yeah, and it's absolutely fantastic what you do as well. Um, just before we get onto that, I just want to touch on something you said there about like you, you know you're not thinking that you would come home. Um, was that like a daily thought for you, uh, or was it something that you kind of just told yourself from the start? Um, you know, like you weren't expecting to come home, so. Was it, did you tell yourself that at the start to kind of motivate yourself to give you, uh, like, to, or to make you do the best job you possibly could for, you know, your country and the nations and for the greater good? Uh, and if you come out alive at the other side, it was a bonus. Was that kind of like the, the mindset you kind of created for yourself there? Yeah, to an extent. I made the decision to go in deep, deep. Um, I knew I was going to be called a terrorist, a traitor and everything, but the kitchen sink would be thrown at me. So I requested from senior members of the American establishment and intelligence agencies that I had an official top cover from the Americans. So when the Brits who thought I'd turned were trying to 
prosecute me for being a terrorist, co- terrorist commander, the Americans would step in at that point and say, not on that one, he's ours. He's actually a knock, non-official cover cooperative. Um, end of. So I've never been judged. Um, and I'm one of the few people who can say my Arabi name is Aladin Saeed Ahmed, and I am or was a terrorist commander working undercover for the Central Intelligence Agency to save British and American and ISIF lives in Afghanistan. Hey, that's not like uh, the, the British authorities to try and like criminalise uh, one of our own and send them to jail, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's not like the Brits, is it? Yeah, I've still, still got a couple of things ongoing at the moment because they've got to um, undo. Um, I, I, I was actually, and I've actually seen the correspondence between the American government and the British government that landed on the Prime Minister's desk. Uh, I think he had a sense of humour failure when he found out I was actually, um, yeah. He even came out with the one that I've never served in the British military which being a fifth generation soldier, me dad was not happy about that one. Yeah, I bet, mate. Christ. It's, uh... Yeah, we won't go too far into that one. That's a different conversation. Um... <laughs> the I like to say on record, I do not have any problems with the British uh, establishment, the government, and the Patriot. I took the oath of allegiance to Queen and Country, and I meant it, and I still mean it to this day. I'm willing to bleed on our flag to keep it red. Mm. Don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but sometimes elements within the government have their own political agenda. Um, I will say that a couple of people who try to screw me over within the British establishment are no longer in the British establishment. They were removed. Mm. So, and they That's were good too. People. So it cannot happen again to anyone oh. else. Yeah, and I, unfortunately, you get people in in, a, in every establishment. It seems at the moment that uh, seems seem to like to stir the pot, and uh, you know, just it just doesn't allow progressive movement. I don't think. Um, and yeah, like it's good to see that people like that were removed to allow positive change and and things happening, which is great. Um, so just uh, go back to what we were talking about a second ago with, with the yeah. charity side of stuff. Um, Obviously, like you've done all that amazing work with the orphanage in um, in Iraq and that, and obviously recently over the recent months, uh, you've come on board our amazing project with Faith, um, who's the CEO of Melcross Mission. Um, so for the boys and girls listening, and who followed a lot of the work I've I've done, um, they'll know that I'm heavily involved as a patron with uh, an amazing charity called Melcross Mission International, which focuses on uh, helping the amputees and the rape victims and their children and families um, from the Blood Diamond Civil War. So uh, if cast your minds back, for those of you who can remember or know about it, uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, obviously the West Side Boys, which originated in Liberia, kind of like spilled over and kind of grew over into Sierra Leone. And they went round basically mutilating and killing and uh, chopping people's limbs off and that um, because the president at the time was saying to the people that the, the basically the future of the country was in their hands and what he meant by that was he was encouraging people to mine as many diamonds as possible so that they could then sell and improve the economy um, and the status of the country the uh, the west side boys obviously used that as uh, their kind of ammunition to go around chopping people's hands off to stop them mining diamonds as a sort of like their way of fighting the government um since obviously the wars died down um and if things have gone back to normal obviously there's thousands and thousands of people who are left you know with missing hands and limbs legs arms um and many were killed um many orphans were suddenly um appearing like thousands you know whose parents were killed at a young age and some obviously that we're working with now um are, are, are orphans um who are now beneficiaries of this amazing charity um, so when we uh, we spoke to Anthony um, several months ago about coming on board because he was really keen to get involved um, because of his generous nature uh, and his ability to be able to make shit happen quickly, um, it's uh, it's been an absolutely amazing honour to to bring him on board. And I know Faith, who runs the charity, echoes this 
um, you know, in, in, in a huge way. Um, so, so what is it you'd like about the charity Melkosh um, and what is it that you see uh, in the, over the next sort of year um, us doing together to really make a difference? Mel, Mel Kosh, Mission International, incredible set-up, incredible team, making a huge impact on the ground in Sierra Leone. The, the, over the past week, one little point which I'd like um, you viewers to, to know was Mel Kosh and the CEO of Faith personally went up to some of the villages in northern Sierra Leone. Even the United Nations has not been able to go that far up. Um, so Faith and Malkosh were the first NGO to be able to get up there and give medical supplies, dental treatment, and help those villagers. Um, that's a massive thing. Being able to get in and help people, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Because there's a lot of children in, in, involved with all this as well. And a lot of these children have seen so much um, war. You can only imagine what they've seen. And to have their hands or their arms cut off by the Westside boys as well. Um, but these children still have a smile on their face as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. Which is incredible. Mm. So the least we can do is to help them. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've used my connections within my network to get medical supplies, help medical supplies, and we'll be doing a lot more with logistics, with transportation, um, access to a helicopter out in Sierra Leone so we can drop off the mm. medical supplies to some of the really remote locations. Um, obviously, I've spent time in Sierra Leone in the past anyway, got friends out there, there as well. Um, so it's just a really nice setup. With everything being so negative in the West about COVID, it's so really nice to be able to see some positive news, some people making a difference. And I'm obviously a military veteran, AJ is a military veteran as well. So it's nice to see a couple of British military veterans getting out there, making a difference and helping yeah and, and that's what it is it's just um it's making a difference and i say it to people all the time like every single person whether they're listening to this watching this or just anywhere in the world we've all got the ability to make a difference in somebody else's life like at the, literally the click of a click of your fingers because we've all got the we've all got resources of some sort me and yeah. you have a lot of resources because we've worked hard on that and we've built our networks and um, we can call upon those people and connections, you know, which is like such a huge important word to be able to help deliver, you know, action and, uh, you know, make stuff happen for the benefit of others. But anybody can like, you know, everyone's got like a neighbor or something like that that might need help with something, you know, your elderly neighbor next door might need help with the shopping. You know, you're making a difference in somebody's day. And that's what I mean is like we've all got the resources of some, of some form. It doesn't have to be people like us who have, uh, uh, you know, got to the positions we have through hard work and, you know, networking and stuff like that. You, do, you don't have to be that kind of person, but you can just take a step back and say, like, what can I do today to make the difference in somebody else's life? Because we've all got the ability and the resource to be able to do it, like, hands down. Um, yeah. And I think it's important that people like us are uh, using our abilities, uh, our skill, our, you know, our tra amazing transferable skills you get from the military, and and our resources to help people in Sierra Leone, who uh, you know who really really need it. You know, we've seen it with our own eyes. Um, we projected it, or I, and I, and I did last year, across all social media platforms to really give people an idea. And I can't wait till we go back there in uh, in, in in a few weeks. You know, when we're 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 hopefully allowed to to leave. Uh, this island, <laughs> um, and, yeah, 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 and go and help uh, all these, you know, more and more amazing people and make a difference. Um, because, like, like you, you know, it's it puts me in such an amazing place. I feel like I literally feel like I'm on cloud nine when I'm there. And like I know when I went last time, I just went down total blank canvas. 
like my barriers were down. I literally went into the villages like I am your friend. And that's what people loved and took to. Um, and, you know, within minutes, they were showing me around their house about like how they live and where they live. And it's beautiful to see. And I've said this on a number of occasions over the last few weeks because of everything that's going on in the UK. I just I love how simple everything is, you know, everything from the kids playing in the street with just random sticks and old tires and stuff like that. And you just look at them, they're, they're all smiling all the time because life's simple for them. Um, yeah, it's a good experience. It's a humbling experience. Yeah. And these, these guys, these kids have been through like, not just a lot of the kids, well, um, say the teenagers and adults and stuff, they've been through not only the civil war, but they've been through Ebola mudslides and now COVID. You know what I mean? Whereas like we're, we're going through a pandemic at the minute and our lives are disrupted. Um, and it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. If you, your, if your life is changed upside down, um, and disrupted in a quite a significant way, it is going to affect your mental health and your well-being. Um, whether you're in a first world country or a third world country, um, you know people need to be mindful of that and humble about that. And it's not it's not a crime to be in a bad place, um, but it's 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 not it's not a great idea. You know, it's not great to reach out if you do need help or you do need some kind of resources to be able to help you to get out of a sticky situation. And I think us being able to provide that for people in Sierra Leone using our assets and our resources, along with faith, who like is an absolute diamond in herself, yeah. um, you know, is is is, is phenomenal. Um, what what is it you're looking forward to the most? Do you think uh, going out there in March? Playing football with the ch children after yeah. we've been through all the outlining villages and dropped off all the medical supplies mm. there's like a serious part of, of, of what we do we're there yeah. to help we're not there on holiday we're there to help get everything out there do what we can then spending a little bit of time with the kids as, as, as well over there mm -hmm. teaching them football and things because I find that sport and football wherever you go in the world children always play it everywhere so sport is is a way of bringing the communities together i know you're very keen to do that as, as well Adrian. Mm, yeah um and again just using our resources to start building up a picture for people to kind of back that as well from a, a sporting kind of yeah. point of view and and, uh, and what it could do for people because it brings communities together in an amazing way all i all i did when i went there i literally got the amputee f football team to turn up which is a, a, an amazing experience in itself, watching these single leg amputees running yeah. around. And it's just like, man, they get around quicker on crutches than some people, like some blokes I know, uh, you know, able-bodied. And um, just the, the skill that they have and, you know, they can, you can tell that they, they practice their craft really well. Um, but it, it, all I did was just got a football, got them to play and then, and then all the community were there. I was handing out like donated fo football shirts, which was amazing. Sending photos back to all the people that donated because it just meant so much to them back in UK to see that just something as simple as a donated football shirt was going to somebody who had nothing. Um, and, and that's what I love about this, the charity and doing the work with it is that we're actively showing people where donations go. Whereas like the bigger charities out there, they like that, you know, they happily take the donations, but you never actually really see where your physical money is gone. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it it's definitely an un, unusual charity, unusual project, and it's one of those ones that doesn't just talk; it gets out there and it gets results as well. Um, that that's important. If there's any professional footballers out there who want to get involved, contact AJ. Mm, yeah, we're always we'll look for anyone else who wants to get involved as well on it. Like, it's going to be a it's it's a hell of a project. It's 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 an honour to be involved as well. Um, it's an absolute honour for yourself to be a patron now as well. And good things will come of it. In, in a world at the moment, which there's a lot of negativity, it's nice to see that there's a positive feel, positive mm. story. And while we're out there, AJ, we're going to be posting a load of videos so then everyone can keep up the speed on all the good work that Mamel Koshy's doing as well. So yeah, I'm yeah, not very good at football, though. So I'll have to push up on my skills there, I think. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to lie, mate. If I uh, if I happen to nutmeg you, I'm not going to let it live it down. I'm going to be like, I nutmeg the CIA asset. Like you can say they've done that. Um, <laughs> you, mate. Brilliant, mate. Um, but speaking of honour, it's been an absolute honour to have you on my show today. Um, I know you're a really, really busy man. Um, so it's great and uh, an honour for you to give up your time to share your stories and all your philanthropical work that you're doing. Uh, and it's an absolute honour to have you join us as part of our amazing team with Melcross Mission International doing some fantastic work uh, over in Sierra Leone and raising the awareness of these people that have been completely forgotten about. Um, so um, before we go, I'd, I'd like to ask, and I ask a lot of my guests this, um, if you were to jump back in a time machine now um, and you were able to pass a note to your 15-year-old self, like what would that note say? Do not go to the... Middle East. <laughs> yeah, my the past twenty years of my life has been uh, un- unusual. It's, yeah. Yeah, I would say, behave yourself. And when an old friend or when a guy called David Petraeus comes to start, he stands up and he shakes your hand. Get the hell out the room. <laughs> That's fair yeah, enough. Right? To one side. I have no regrets at all. Job done. Life saved. Happy days. Awesome. AJ, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege to be on your show as well, mate. Thanks, mate. Uh, you know, I, I love having guests like yourself on. You've like done amazing things throughout that whole life and, and careers. And uh, but yeah, it's so humble. It's really, really great. And like you said, we just want to tr- we're trying to install some real positivity into the world yeah. at the minute and everything that's going on. Um, boys and girls, I really hope you you loved the show today. Um, and I hope you managed to take some insightful information and maybe some nuggets that you can install into your own lives uh, from myself and Anthony and what, you know, what, what Anthony shared with us today. Um, if you're on Apple podcast, please leave a five-star review. It's really important. We want to get the show ratings right up there. Um, knock Joe Rogan off his perch because he's just waffling loads of rubbish nowadays. Um, and, uh, and we want to get our, you know, our, our information and our positivity out there to as many people as possible. Um, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and likewise follow the Facebook page for loads more updates and obviously updates on all the amazing guests that I've got coming up over the next few weeks and months. Um, But from me and Anthony, have a really great day and please stay safe.